Uh, and if you go to Exodus chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 1. And so you can go ahead and turn there. And the first part in Exodus chapter 8, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thy house, and in thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and in thy house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee, and upon thy people, and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause the frogs to come up upon in the land of Egypt. So Aaron did this uh, over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs also upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may go sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from the servants and from the people, and they shall remain in the river only. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. I love those parts of the Bible. <laughs> but, uh, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart, and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. We're going to stop there for the first part of Exodus. There's an important point here we talked about last week with the Nile River. People were like, okay, why would God choose to turn the river into blood? That's kind of a weird, um, you know, a plague to put upon people. And he, God could choose anything to inflict upon the people, so why would he choose blood in the water? And we talked about last week that the blood in the water was a, a symbolism, uh, one of what's to come if they don't turn to God. That eventually all of the people of Egypt that chased after the Israelites would die in the water. Uh, they would die when the Red Sea collapsed upon them. And in addition to that, though, um, the Egyptians worshipped pagan gods. They weren't. They were not followers of Christ whatsoever. And so they actually kind of worshipped the Nile River because the Nile provided them fish and it provided them water. And so they almost saw the Nile as a, as a god to them. And so instead of worshiping the Creator, they worshiped the creation. And so when God turned the water into blood, they couldn't drink the water anymore. And the fish died in the water. And so it's kind of a slap in the face to the Egyptians saying, hey, you guys are putting all your trust and faith into the creation, not the creator. And so it's a, it's a wake up call to the Egyptians and a foreshadowing of if you don't turn to me, it's going to get a lot more bloodier and worse. And so the second plague, though, is a weird one because it's the frogs. And you're like, why would he bring frogs upon the people? And so I had to do some research as well. Well, um, back in the Egyptian culture, they actually had a god that resembled a frog, basically. And they would worship this, um, you know, basically this frog god, which is really odd sounding to us, but back then it made sense in their minds and people. And um, so the frogs were sacred to them. 
And so if frogs came into your house, you wouldn't kill them because you value those frogs as sacred animals um, or reptiles. And so when all the frogs came into the house and got in their ovens and all over their stuff, in the 21st century today, okay, we're going to call in pest control and get those suckers out of there. But those people, because they were sacred in Egypt, they were just, they were basically instructed just to leave them there. You know, they weren't going to do anything about it, and it totally wrecked their lifestyles. Um, so when we think about in our day, in our, <laughs> in, in our time today, it one shows God's humor, uh, but it also shows about putting your trust in anyone or anything other than God eventually backfires on you. And so uh, the Egyptians, once again, put their trust in the frogs instead of the Nile River, or, or the Nile River instead of God. And then God said, okay, I'm going to show you how you put your trust in that. It's not going to work out for you long, long term. And so eventually he kills the frogs off, and they're, and they, they're forced to remove them from their houses. And now they have a big pile of dead frogs in Egypt, and the whole land stinks. And that's a very unattractive place to be in. So I was praying, okay, how does this apply to our church life? Okay, this is obviously a very uh, bizarre story, but it has significant meaning to it. So how does it apply to us today? And the first thing I thought of was sometimes, even today, we tend to worship ourselves rather than the Savior. And what I mean by that is we tend to do things that we like and what we think pleases God, even if what we're doing isn't working and lost people are dying and going to hell around us. Uh, what I mean by that is that the frogs back then in the, in the Nile River, they thought, okay, we worship these things, we put our trust in these things, we're going to have a good, successful, happy life. Because they'll bring us life, and they'll bring us happiness, and fulfillment, and, and satisfaction, and all these kind of things. But as soon as God turned those things into something bad, all of a sudden people were like, what do we do? Who do we turn to? You know, what, where do we go now? And the same thing is true in our lives today. We put in our trust in methods or our personal ideas or, uh, or, or uh, objective things. Eventually, that's going to let you let us down. Eventually, we put our trust in people; they're going to let us down. And then God, and then we're going to be looking. Okay, where do we go from here? Where do we put our hope? Where do we turn to? And then God's going to be calling us into repentance, just like the Egyptians turned back to me. Only, only I will satisfy you. Only I will truly give you life everlasting and fulfill you. And so I look at today um, into our church life, and you think about things that maybe we do at church um, that can be almost like the frogs. An example could be we may be reluctant to change music or style of worship, although we see we're losing people uh, the next generation. We may be content staying within our own little groups uh, when our groups are shrinking and lost people multiply around us. We may only see a certain age group uh, as leaders of the church, when in reality, sometimes God calls younger people in certain churches uh, to lead. An uh, example would be David in the Bible. But and, and you think about this, when you think of all these things that sometimes as a church, we kind of gravitate to certain ideas or certain methods of how we've always done things, we've always done this, and we put all our trust into those methods or those ideas or what we believe is right, when God is calling us to do something different, Eventually, those methods are going to backfire on us, and then we're going to be left with a lot of frogs. And then, when those when the church starts to die out, it's going to stink. Uh, so the frogs take up the city, but the people refuse to move them because they value them and worship them over God. So in our lives today, do we value and worship the way we do things more than the way Maker? 
Do we care more about what we want than ultimately what God wants as a church? If so, the church, whether it's our church or the church in general, will continue to struggle eventually to death. And so just like with the frogs, if you put your faith, your faith in your methods or the way you've always done things or the way you think things ought to be done, when God had been calling us to do things totally differently, to change the way we do things, to reach a new generation or reach a different kind of people, then eventually those methods are going to become like frogs. We're going to start seeing decay, and then those frogs are going to die, and we're going to be left with a really stinky and bad situation that we're not going to know how to get out of. And the next part here is we have to learn from the Lord's discipline. And this is what Pharaoh is going to have to do here in this, in this passage. Uh, he has a little more time doing it. Um, but if you look at, at Hebrews um, 12, 11, this is the only verse we're going to go to besides Exodus. It's kind of a neat verse uh, that talks about um, discipline and the Lord's correction, how it can be a really good thing. And it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, Now no chastening for the present uh, seems to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless afterward it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Basically, what that means is that nobody wants to be disciplined. Nobody wants to be told we have to do something differently or we have to change or we have to, to, to now go a different direction. You know, I'm the same way. We're all human. You know, we like the way we like things. We like the way we do things and how we've always done things. But, you know, God doesn't call us to live a comfortable life. He calls us to live a called life for Him. And when you start living for God and doing things that God's calling you to, you're never really going to be in a comfortable sense in what the way the world sees comfort. But you're going to have true joy. You're going to have true fulfillment. You're going to have a peace that surpasses all understanding that others don't have in this world. And um, one thing I, I heard earlier this week in our devotions at the Gideons was that uh, it was a reminder that Paul, you know, wrote a lot of the most encouraging messages in the Bible. You know, about how to rejoice in the Lord and how he was thankful for people and how, you know, he found contentment in all things. Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten. You know, he was thrown in prison. He lived probably one of the worst lives, earthly lives, we could ever imagine. He wasn't comfortable on earth. But it's because he kept doing the things that God called him to. And when you keep doing the things God called you to, he's going to put you in difficult situations. He's going to stretch you. He's going to challenge you. But he's going to do all that to grow your faith in him and to eventually mold you to the exact person he wants you to be. And in the end, when you look back, you're going to say, man, I'm glad I chose to follow God because of all the people I impacted and all the ways I lived for him, even though maybe my earthly life was challenging. It was worth it in the end. Because lost souls came to him. When I get to heaven, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, coming to my kingdom. Um, and so we look here, and Pharaoh is not going to have that response. He's going to continue to harden his heart. And I want you to see how that turns out for us. So if you go back to Exodus chapter 8, it says here um, in verse 17, And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, and smote the dust of the earth, and it became wise in man and in beast, and all the dust of the land became wise throughout all the land of Egypt. So this is plague number three. Pharaoh hardens his heart, so boom, plague number three happens. So now you have water turned into blood. Now you have frogs all over the place. Now you get lice. Okay, this is a pretty 
invisible situation, you would think there's got to be a clear wake-up call eventually. But Pharaoh is pretty determined here to not let the people go. So if you read on, Pharaoh continues to not let the people go. So plague four happens, and it says, um, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, then no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And so the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, and into his servants' houses, into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. So uh, I know being Grace you were talking about earlier, we had a lot of ant problems. Uh, and that's pretty miserable. Um, but ants, a lot of times, will kind of group into one section. You get a bunch of flies in the house, they're going everywhere. Those things are going to room to room to room, kitchen, uh, living room. And that is a miserable situation. And if you just have five or six flies, it's pretty miserable. But I'm picturing here, there's probably hundreds of flies just all over the place. And so your lifestyle, again, you just went from frogs to lice. Now you have flies everywhere. I mean, again, you would think eventually there's got to be a wake-up sign that maybe I'm not doing something the right way. And so um, what I put here is that if you ignore the discipline from the Lord, because it's not what you want to hear, like Pharaoh did not want to hear this. He fully did not believe in God. He believed in his own ways, his own, 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 own ideas of doing things. Uh, if you don't want to hear uh, from someone younger because it's not what you think God would want, or you have an idea that my way is better than God's way, the fruit of your labor begins to dry up, rot, and stink. Um, so it talks about in Hebrews chapter 12, the fruit of the righteous person comes forth when we listen to the discipline of the Lord. When we listen to what he's calling us to do, and we turn and follow him and go in that direction. But if we choose to not go in that direction, to do things how we want to do them, and harden our hearts against God, just like Pharaoh did, then we start to lose that fruit in our life. We don't see that kind of love and that kind of joy. We don't see churches being filled up. We don't see people coming to Christ. And it's because our hearts are hardened to how God would want us to do things. And because of that, we start to not see God move in our lives the way we, we would intend to. Um, Pharaoh ignored the Lord's discipline time and time again, and things gradually got worse, and plague and plague kept happening. Pharaoh ignored the Lord's discipline, um, and, and the people in the city began to realize something was wrong. Okay, people in Egypt started to talk. They're like, look, something's going on here. This ain't normal. <laughs> you know, not every day we walk outside, there's a billion flies flying around, uh, and things like this, and they realize there's, there's a problem in Egypt. Now, the people may not realize what the problem was, but they realize something's wrong here. Something's got to change. And, and the land is not what it used to be. Egypt was a prime place back in the Bible for people to go to. It was a beautiful city. It was a place of wealth. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty. But now all of a sudden, you've got dead fish, you've got dead frogs, you've got lice, and you've got flies. Nobody wants to go to a city full of that stuff. And people start talking like, okay, we're staying far away from Egypt from here on out. Unfortunately, in our church lives, the same thing can happen in the church. You know, when the church begins to harden its heart from where God's calling them and to stop doing the things that God's calling them to do, we become a shell of our former selves. And in, in reality, we stop pleasing God. And people realize that. They start talking around and they end up going somewhere else or they avoid that place altogether. And, and, and that's where I, the last point comes in is a lack of repentance eventually leads to death. 
So God gave Pharaoh multiple chances to repent. Uh, there's more plagues to come before eventually he ends up killing Pharaoh and all of his army. And the firstborn of in Egypt didn't have a blood on the door. <clears throat> um, but he gave him plenty of warning signs before that happened. It wasn't just God said, okay, Pharaoh, let the people go or we're killing everybody. And that's not how God worked. He said, let the people go or there's going to be a little, a little punishment. Pharaoh didn't. There was a punishment. Then he took away that punishment and said, okay, Pharaoh, hey, another chance here. Let the people go. Okay, do what I'm telling you to do. Pharaoh said no. Another punishment came in. And then he said, okay, I'm taking that punishment back. Now the frogs are no longer there. Let the people go. Nothing else will happen, Pharaoh. He didn't. More things happened. And eventually God gets to the point and says, okay, Pharaoh, fine. You're not going to listen to me. I'm done with you. And we're shutting the door to that. And the same, and we think about it, this, how does this apply to our church life today? What are some warning signs that maybe God is giving our church to change into what he's calling us to be? And are we ignoring those signs? Because if we do, there might be some disappointment, some downtimes. But God's going to keep giving us chances and chances and chances. Eventually those chances may run out and God says, okay, I'm just going to move you guys somewhere else. I'm just going to go somewhere else. I'm just going to, I'm going to use another church instead. I'm going to move people here. And, and we have to think through that. And so if we're still here, which we are, there's still a hope. And God is chasing after us. The question is, are we going to run back to him? Are we going to be like Pharaoh and continue to harden our hearts and do things how we want to do them, although God's called us to do something different? Or are we going to turn away and say, God, I'm going to put all my desires, all my wants, whatever I think is best aside, I'm going to come to you and say, God, what do you want for us? And I think as a church family, if we, can, if we do that in a time like now where things may seem uncertain for the future, and just come together and say, God, okay, what do you want from us? And whatever it may be, you know, and God will, will reveal that to us. And it may be revealed in, in different ways. But we say, well, God, what do you want from us going forward? And if we full-heartedly chase after that and follow and chase after him and follow that, I believe that God can revive us and, and use us in a powerful way once again. Because if we're still here, God still has a plan for us. And if we're still here, God still wants to use us for a great purpose. And if we turn back to him, we'll start to see that purpose fulfilled. We won't see these plagues like this. Yes, sure, we may go through some hard times. We're going to have the fruit in our lives, the love, the joy, the peace. And that will be attractive to all those around us. And they'll say, they won't say, oh, man, what's going on with the garden? They'll say, wow, what's going on with the garden? i got to find out about that. i got to go there. i gotta, I got to come on Sunday. i got to come on Wednesday and find out what's going on. And we'll see a difference in our church and in our family. So I want to read you guys this as we close. Um... This is a really encouraging letter, and, and, I, and I, I came across this. Um, somebody showed this to me. Uh, it's called a Father's Love Letter. Anybody ever heard of that before? It's, I don't think it's uh, unfortunately that popular, but um, it's, uh, I think it was written a while ago, but it's, uh, it's a really cool letter, and I think a pastor wrote this to his church, um, again, a, a long time ago. But I think it, it really will encourage us what we're going through today, when times seem uncertain, when we think, hey, is God still for us? Is God still on our side? This is a really encouraging letter that if we turn back to him, we soften our hearts, God will use us. So I want to read this to you guys. If you guys want to copy this afterwards, I'll be happy to give you one. So it says, a father's love letter. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. 
I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but I am the complete expression of love. It is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been fulfilled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do for you far more than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are broken hearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I will take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you even as I love my son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died that you, and, so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I love that I may gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son, Jesus, you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home, and I'll hold the biggest party ever heaven has ever seen. I have always been father, and I'll always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love your dad, almighty God. It's a pretty cool letter to just encourage us today. Times may seem tough right now. It may seem challenging. But we turn to God, give it completely to him, and surrender. God still loves us. He's still for us. He still cares for us. And he still has a plan for us. We're still his child, and he loves us. Let's go to prayer. You know, I thank you so much just for your love for us. Even when we're like Pharaoh, when we harden our heart against you and say, no, God, I'm doing things my way, or, you know, I'm doing things the way I think are best, you give us a chance time and time again. You discipline us, God, but it's not because you don't like us or you don't love us. It's because you do love us. And you want to see us fulfill the plan you have for us, which is a plan to prosper us and give us hope in the future. God, I ask that we just give everything to you in our church. God, I ask that we turn everything over to you. And whatever you desire for us, let us see that and let us seek after it with all of our heart, with all of our might, God. Knowing that you're going to be with us, you'll bless us through it, God, and you'll show us marvelous things. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.